Hello, and welcome to tonight's episode of Cryptique, where we work to bring truth to light of the paranormal, hidden history, forbidden knowledge, conspiracy theories, and even fringe science. If you like the show, please give us a five-star rating and write a review so we can continue to improve. You can email case suggestions to crypticpodcast at gmail.com and tell us about your true paranormal stories. Don't forget to tell your friends about the show because word of mouth goes a long way. And the more listeners we have, the more shows we can bring you. Don't forget to check out Ryan's movie review podcast, Movie Howl, and my true crime podcast, Exploring Evil. Tonight's show is about real-life ghost stories, brought to you from interviews I've conducted as a ghost hunter and Ryan's conversations with people he knows as well. Buckle up and find a safe place to listen. It's time for Cryptique. So what I've got is just a couple shorter stories, you know, like we were talking about before the show. It's interesting to know where people are coming from and kind of what got them interested in the paranormal in the first place. So I'm always interested in other people's stories. You know, I don't have that many of my own. Unfortunately, I do have some experiences, but uh, my fiance is very, very interested in the paranormal and keeps up with a lot more paranormal shows than I keep up with shows, period. So I asked her to just kind of tell me a couple of the stories from her childhood that got her so interested in it. So, you know, she it's important to note that she is from a very small town of about 2000 people, I guess, depending on where you live. Maybe that's not such a small town. <laughs> there are smaller towns in the area, but she lived in a house that was owned by her family for at least three generations. And that she thinks might be something that's contributing to the activity, not just that there's something there, but that it's, you know, a familial connection. But she talked about as a child, you know, she would hear things in the house. She would hear her name being called. She said that's kind of the earliest paranormal activity she really remembers. She would hear what sounded like one of her parents calling her name and would go, you know, to find them and see what they wanted. And it would be nothing. You know, she said it just it sounded just like any other time that they would call her, you know, call her for dinner, call her to see, did you leave this down here? You know, who knew what it was about, but it would sound just you know, totally normal, not not ethereal in any way. When she was a little older, she started seeing this figure. I guess what we would now call a shadow figure, a shadow person. But she said it was a figure that she would see occasionally in her bedroom. And the first time she saw it, she said it looked like it was wearing some kind of hat. She said it looked like a top hat. And the whole top hat thing is something I, I don't know that I buy but it comes up a lot. I'm not sure if you've experienced this, that a lot of people describe these figures having that. We will get into hats. Not a top hat in particular, but definitely hats that maybe uh, give away the time frame that the spirit or ghost or whatever you want to call it is coming from. Whereas, you know, today, uh, you know, I might be wearing a baseball cap and... You know, a hundred years from now, if my ghost shows up somewhere, you know, baseball hats aren't going to be in style and they'll be like, oh, there was this ghost and he had a baseball hat on. Yeah, 
Yeah, I kind of wonder. Maybe some of the top hats are like uh, an old-fashioned fedora or something like that. You know, I've got a Pendleton fedora somewhere. Maybe I should just wear that and sneak into the bedroom some night and see if that just, you know, did that did that look like it? Just <laughs> and deal with the fallout of that later. <laughs> yeah, if you want to sleep on the couch. The first time she saw this figure, she said she uh, looked over to her right and saw what looked like a man standing bent at the waist at about a 30 degree angle. And she just had the impression that it was kind of bent, over, you know, leant over her bed, bending down, watching her. And didn't really know what to do, you know, didn't know who it was, didn't know what it was. So she said her you know, solution was what kids typically do. And she pretended she was asleep and just rolled over. And after a while, you know, she still felt that there was something there. So she just decided as quickly as she could to rip off the blankets and run downstairs and sleep with her parents. So going on a little further still, this is one where we have tried to debunk it before. Well, hold on. Before we move on, um, we find that a lot of kids have these uh, experiences, and a lot of people think that it's just because kids have a great imagination or, you know, don't understand things that are, you know, commonplace. But it's my belief that there is a thinner veil between the real world and the spirit world for children because at this point it hasn't been beaten into their head that that's not real that's not real you're imagining it you're imagining it and so they rely on their instincts and their senses a lot more than if I was to see something I might just say oh that's just my imagination yeah I I kind of agree with that not entirely for the same reasons. I, I mean, I agree with your reasoning as well. But there are a lot of stories of reincarnation, past life memories, you know, strange abilities and things like that that all take place when people are children. And they kind of just go away. You know, kids who talk about their former lives or how they died or whatever stop doing that by the time they're seven maybe. So I agree, the veil seems to be somewhat thinner. You know, there's, there's some sort of barrier that might prevent us from... I don't know if it's just recognizing what else is out there or interacting with it, but it does seem like it's harder the older you get. So another set of paranormal events revolve around this little TV she had. As a kid, she had a, a small white CRT TV, you know, old school, kind of, you know, like the one I had. I had a little TV in my bedroom when I was a kid that I got from the nuns at the school I went to, you know, very old school, black and white. You know, if that had turned on in the middle of the night, which is my fiance's claim that her TV would just randomly turn on by itself, that would be very paranormal because this TV was, it had a little knob that you clicked turn it on you know all the channels it was that big heavy like chunk kind of dial made a big satisfying noise every time you moved it and i assumed hers was a little newer than that you know and i didn't have that tv forever or anything my parents were abusive <laughs> and i'm not that old <laughs> but she she said it would just come on and she couldn't figure out why and this was a pretty easy thing for me to debunk in my mind because in our old townhouse, we would have issues with the little switcher box 
that was on our entertainment center because the TV we had didn't have enough HDMI ports. We had a little switcher thing that was controlled by an IR remote. And sometimes it would just turn on on its own. When the TV wasn't on, nothing was happening. Maybe we were just sitting there talking or listening to music or in the other room eating. You know, we'd come in there and it would just be on. And eventually, I just came to realize there is a correlation here. Every time that happens, the blinds are open. So it's some kind of IR signal coming from one of the other townhouses across the street. And any time that we would close the blinds, it never happened anymore. So that was what I just assumed it was. I kind of wrote that one off. And we actually sat down and talked about it before I came in here to do this. And she clarified, like, no, it's important that it was a white TV because you would see the little, you know, black plastic screen that hides the RR sensor. And she said, this did not have one. This was an old school one that was just push buttons only. And the other thing about it was her bedroom was on the second floor with two windows, one of which faced a farm field, the other which faced towards another house, but there were two detached garages in between those houses and that window. And this TV sat in between those facing into the room. So it would have been very difficult for any kind of signal to make its way in there and get to that TV, even if there was a way for it to pick it up. And even stranger, after a couple weeks of this happening, the TV just turning on and blaring in the middle of the night, she said out loud, you know, please, whoever's doing this, I just need to get to sleep. Like, can you please stop turning this on? And she said it never happened again. So I just find from almost a mathematical perspective, it, it seems like it would be very unlikely for a thing to happen that accidentally triggers this TV for it to keep happening, you know, only at night, only when she's trying to sleep. And then for that thing to stop happening when she asks it to, you know, there is a possibility that a neighbor had some device that was interfering with it, but the odds of them setting it up and then stopping it when she asked it to be stopped, just that kind of pushed it over for me. So this one is less of a ghost story than a sort of UFO experience. And I don't know if maybe it's because it's a small town that does seem to be a trend when it comes to UFO encounters that they tend to happen in less populated areas. This town is a small town in northern Illinois. It's about the actual sort of city, what you would call the city, where most of the people are. It's only one square mile. There are farms and, and other, you know, sort of businesses that surround it, but they're spaced out much more. And what she said was that on certain nights, she would see this yellow-orange light in the sky. She said it didn't really look like the sun or the moon or anything like that because it was almost the size of the entire window frame, if you think of a normal sort of uh, double window. So that would make it maybe 30, 35 inches. She also said that there was no bleeding to it. There was no point at which the color or the light sort of escaped this orb. It seemed to have a very hard outer edge as though it was just an illuminated object rather than something that emanated a significant amount of light. And when she asked her parents about it, you know, her dad came up to check it out and looked out at it and said like, oh, that's just 
plane or another time told her, you know, that's what it looks like when a rocket takes off and this, you know, one stage of it detaches or whatever, which is something that kind of makes sense for him, given that he was from Florida. But, you know, she was uh, my fiance was a few years older when she realized, like, hey, there's no airport here. There's no, you know, they don't launch shuttles from here or anything like none of that makes any sense. And when confronting her dad about it, he was like, yeah, I didn't know what it was. He's like, I wasn't going to tell you that. <laughs> so, yeah, just a number of strange things happening for her. But the most disturbing one that I've heard, and I unfortunately didn't know this until we were already together and living together, was that... Wait, 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 wait. Hold on just a second. Is this going to be followed up with, I wouldn't have married her, or dated her, had I known this story beforehand? It, it would have given me pause, for sure. I might have consulted with somebody, but yeah, it's, it's something to think about. And it's just that she would be influenced by something in the house. I mean, she said that she would feel these emotions that did not seem to be hers. She would feel anger at times that didn't make any sense or frustration. You know, there's a lot of uh, ghost hunter type people on TV and who do blogs and talk on forums and whatever. But this seems to be a common thing that you pick up on the emotions of the entity that's there or maybe the emotions of the people who experienced some traumatic incident in the past in that location. And her uh, sisters and her aunt confirmed that there were times where Kim would just seem to become somebody else. Wow. You know, her mannerisms would change, Her the look in her eyes. You know, some people you can just look in their eyes and tell that there's something wrong. There's something not right. You know, it's one of these... Like we talked about with the black-eyed kids. You can look in their eyes and know there's something wrong. Yeah, it's some kind of natural, inbuilt thing that tells you, like, something's up. Like, it's a danger signal that seems to be built into us. But yeah, they said it was just, it didn't seem like her. And in one case, she even threatened to kill her mother. Like, told her that she hated her and this is what I'm going to do to you and all this stuff. And then walked out of the room. And, and about what age was this? Uh, I believe she was a young teenager, about 14 or 15. Okay. And she said she didn't know anything about it. Didn't know that it happened. Didn't re- Like, she said all she remembered was going downstairs and walking into the kitchen. And then sort of coming to, like, getting her bearings in the living room. Just kind of sitting there like, oh, what am I doing here? Like, I was going to get a glass of water. And went back in, and everybody was upset, and she didn't understand why. Wow. And she, but the thing that makes me think it's tied to the house is she's never experienced anything like this anywhere else. Mm -hmm. This sudden anger or, you know, this, these moments of her looking wrong looking like it's it's not her anymore like the look in her eye is different so yeah I didn't know about that until we were living together which was very comforting but I guess since it hasn't happened she, she I mean she threatens me but it's never seemed super serious so I guess I won't worry about it too much and uh, the only other thing since we've gone through most of the little stories that she gave me for this One of the ones that I find most compelling is, again, to do with the history of the house. You know, that her family's lived there for so many generations. And 
her dad had a story that he would hear these footsteps and they would walk in this particular pattern. It was recognizable where they were going. You could just hear it on the floorboards in the house. And he eventually told his wife about it. You know, hey, you weren't home the other day and I, I heard somebody walking and I go to look for it and there's nobody there. There's nobody upstairs, downstairs. You know, they're not where the sounds seem to be coming from. And when he described it and kind of walked that pattern, the layout of the house is strange because it's an old house and it's been expanded onto a couple times. But it's one of those things where the path these footsteps were taking was the same path that the original owner of the house would take to get to this one room. And in present day, it doesn't make any sense because there's a new hallway, there's a new dining room. You know, there are all these new parts of the house that have been constructed, added on, changed. But the way it used to be, this path was the same path this person used to take from their bedroom to one of the other rooms where they would kind of hang out. And I, I, I find it, yeah, I find it very compelling when somebody who doesn't have the history with the house says, oh, I heard these, these footsteps went from that bedroom through here, like over to this corner, and that doesn't make any sense. Until you find out, well, that corner used to be a doorway to this other room, or this used to be what was there, and you know nobody would know that. That's very interesting. Yeah, um, I, that is something that we'll get into with one of the stories that I have too, and it's very similar situation that the house had been built onto and expanded and changed, and the person that I interviewed doesn't necessarily tell me that it makes sense because this used to be the path that they would walk, but that footsteps were a common thing in the house and it would happen. This is a story about uh, two young girls and they would be downstairs watching TV or whatever and they would hear the footsteps and houses creak and stuff like that but I think footsteps are very discernible that they're not the house settling or something like that we have experienced almost no paranormal activity where we live now I say almost no paranormal activity because Kim claims that recently she has been hearing footsteps there was one night in particular I think I was I was doing something really important. I think I was playing D&D at a friend's house, and she <laughs> she didn't come. So she was at home alone, and we have... It, it's, you know, a lot of the steps you hear are on wood. You know, like you're saying, it's the sound of a house settling and creaking and doing whatever. Well, she was in the basement, because that's where we keep our rabbit pens, because they like to be cooler, so we want them to be down here where it's cooler. You know, they when they get hot, they tend to lay out on the concrete, like spread their legs out and that's just I mean they're literally chilling like that so she was down there with them there's a little living room area set up down there mm -hmm. and she just said that she was hearing the sound of tennis shoes walking on that concrete and then she went back into one of the bedrooms and was sitting back there doing something sitting on the bed or playing with one of the rabbits in there I don't know but she she was texting me that she was hearing footsteps it's like okay I mean the house creaks it makes noises you know, it's not that old. There have been new cracks that have shown up since we've been living here. But she she was serious about it. When I got home, she was upset with me because she said it sounded very clearly like I had walked in. She said it sounded very clearly like I had come in, hung up my keys, walked down the stairs, 
open the door, close the door. Mm -hmm. And I, I will say that the shoes I typically wear, I tend to wear Asics. And the, I, I guess it's the shape of the heel because it's kind of a cupped shape. It makes a, a, a noise that's very recognizable when it's on a concrete surface. And she said that's exactly the noise she heard. And it was just she was positive she was going to look up and see me there. And then when there was no one there and the door was closed and my car wasn't there, it really freaked her out. And now she's like, oh, God, whatever it was that was up there, it's followed me. And I was like, oh, please don't say that. <laughs> Like, I don't believe it, and I really don't want to believe it. Sure. Hey, this is Ryan from Cryptique, but I'm also one of two hosts on Movie Hell, which is a podcast about movies of all kinds. We talk about old ones, new ones, obscure indie films, and major cinematic events. So join me and my co-host, Joe, as we have fun picking apart flops and discussing the finer points of such masterpieces as the Austin Power series. Movie Howl is available anywhere fine podcasts are aggregated. Hey, Cryptique fans. If you're looking to continue the thrills and chills with the true crime podcast, I'd like to suggest Exploring Evil. We cover stories of lesser-known serial killers, and some even have a paranormal twist. Some depraved, some insane, all evil. Find Exploring Evil everywhere you find Cryptique. Well, aside from just kids having a uh, better view into the paranormal, like we talked about seeing through the veil, it seems that certain people just have kind of a talent or an ability to see through it as well. There's some people that try to totally shut off their intuition and only look at things completely logically and they don't accept that there could be another realm, uh, that there could be a spirit world or anything like that. And there's others who trust their instincts and may, you know, continue to carry that sort of third eye sight into their adulthood and can see things a little bit more. I don't know if I would say clearly, but see things on the other side a little bit better than others. Maybe she's a conduit. Maybe. And I wonder, you know, people talk about animals being able to see things and sense things. And I guess one of my own stories, you know, all of my own experiences, I can kind of discount. You know, it's probably my imagination. It's probably this, probably that, you know, it might be a sensitivity to like electricity or something like that. You know, this sort of Faraday cage thing or uh, this sort of fear cage that they've talked about. I guess it's sort of the opposite of a Faraday cage. It's where you're kind of boxed in by electricity. I'm not sure if you've read about these. There's something electrical that's causing you to feel like there's a presence near you. But when I was a teenager, my room was in the basement. And it was a house that, you know, the rooms in the basement had windows. It wasn't like it was completely underground or anything. And I was aware that it was storming out and all this. So that's another thing that might explain what was going on. But... The rest of my family was gone. My brother had already moved out. My parents were on a trip somewhere, so I was home alone, except for the dog. And the dog's what freaks me out the most about it. But I was laying there in bed, and I've scared the daylights out of myself before just by doing dumb stuff. I remember one time I 
I woke up in the middle of the night and, and just opened my eyes and I was facing the wall and I saw a giant shadow of a man like a big buff dude and I just froze and it took me so long to figure out what to do and I just watched the shadow and it didn't move and it wasn't doing anything and I finally like real slowly turned and looked I had found an old Batman toy and I stuck it on my desk and it was directly in front of the little green status LED from my computer speakers and it was casting this massive like 10 foot tall Batman shadow but I couldn't see the ears <laughs> and so I just laid there like oh my god what is going on <laughs> but in this case you know I didn't feel anybody there I saw the the shadow but I didn't feel like anybody was there but this one particular night you know if, if you turned all the lights off in your house and you walked right up to your wife without saying anything you would know she was there there's just this I don't know exactly what it is, but you can feel when somebody's right near you. Like, if, if your friend is trying to mess with you and they walk up, like, right behind you, you'll get the sense that there's somebody there. It's like that. Yeah, they're in your energy, in your aura. Yeah, and I had that feeling. It was it was storming out. I was actually having a really nice night. You know, I was I was home alone. I, got, I was doing whatever I wanted. I was playing video games. I was whatever. Pop rocks and soda. Whatever I was doing as a teenager that I was enjoying. <laughs> I just felt like there was somebody standing over me because it felt like when a parent comes in to see if you're awake, you know, because they don't want to wake you up. They they'll sometimes they'll stand and they'll watch or they'll listen to hear if you're breathing like you're asleep. That's kind of what it felt like. And then it felt like it got really close to me. And I finally just waited and I decided to, you know, I, I slowly worked my right arm out from under the blanket and then I just punched forward like directly into this space in front of my face where it felt like this thing was because there was no excuse for anybody to be there my parents weren't there mm -hmm. my brother wouldn't have been like that right in front of me there there should have been nobody in the house and there was just nothing there so i jumped up and turned on the lights and it was thundering and they're lightning and i became aware that my dog was barking and she was a really sweet red coon hound she was like 120 pounds and wanted to sit on your lap and all this stuff that she couldn't do and she never barked she never growled and she was sitting in the corner of the basement facing the wall mm. and growling and i've never seen her do anything like that before but she was just growling and barking and i was talking to her i was like hey what's going on and she wouldn't respond she was just real focused on whatever she was looking at but i wanted to go upstairs because i was hearing noise upstairs so i you know crept up the steps and again you know storm outside so there's a lot of noise but i heard slamming and all this and the, the strangest thing is i remember going up, up the stairs and i started to look towards the kitchen and i heard this big slam and I looked down the hall, and I thought, like, it must be a door or a window or something. And so I keep going forward, and I hear another slam. And I'm still looking around, and I can't figure out what it is. And I hear a third slam. And I finally find that one of the bathroom doors is closed, and the window in that room is open. So the wind is coming in, and it's knocking the curtains around, and the, you know, 
of the blinds and that little metal bit at the bottom that weighs it down is slapping against the door frame or the, the window frame and the, the door just blew shut real hard and I kind of felt like that was a good excuse I still have never been able to explain why there were three slams how did it reopen and slam again because there were no other rooms in the house with windows open there's no you know no source for those other slams unless it was the same door just opening and closing again when I was a kid I, I did some dumb stuff but when I was a kid I always figured if it can hurt me I can probably hurt it that was always kind of my thought because I've had I've told this story to people like it's pretty ballsy just to take a swing at something you think standing over you. Just this weird, I felt something experience, and they were always like, dude, I never would have gotten up in the first place. <laughs> I never would have, like, tried to hit it or whatever. But for some reason, finding that door closed and being like, oh, it's just the wind. It kind of, like, broke the spell. You know, I, like, everything, the storm was still going on, but everything felt okay. Like, that presence was lifted. You know, it was sort of that Oz effect that you hear about. It's like, I don't know, it's like your senses kind of compressed down and then they open back up. It's like having your ears cleared after you've been at a high altitude or something. It's like, oh, suddenly I can hear things I didn't realize were there before. And even the dog started acting normal and I just kind of ignored it and went, went to bed. But it was just really unusual. It was just this, this real brief thing. So I don't really talk about it very much because I don't feel like it's very significant except for the fact that that dog just never growled, never barked. You know, the only time she had really growled before was we got her as a puppy. So we knew everything about her. She didn't have any like weird history that, that would have caused her to, you know, she, she hates this and we didn't know why because we didn't have her then. Like the only time she'd ever growled before, I got my dad this, you know, like decorative old timey sort of walking stick. And he sat down with it at the kitchen table and dog was under the table and dog started growling. He was like, what? And kind of like, tapped the cane a little closer to her and she growled at it and was like oh you don't like this for some reason okay and you went and put it someplace else <laughs> that's that's about the only time she ever growled one of my favorite quotes is i don't trust people who don't like dogs but i do trust dogs who don't like people and if your dog is freaking out especially a coon hound has the uh, drive to go check things out like they don't really get scared and if she thought that you know it was the door upstairs I would imagine she would probably run up there and you know confront whatever she thought it was but maybe if it was an otherworldly entity that would cause her to freak out too yeah it was unusual for her to be downstairs in the first place because if there was a storm or you know her her sort of her spot where she went when she was you know nervous or wanted to relax or whatever there was a, a landing on the stairs that she liked to lay on like she didn't love storms but she wasn't particularly scared of them either but she would usually lay there or in one of the hallways but being downstairs was unusual being in that particular corner was unusual barking like that was unusual and then having the feeling of someone standing over your bed looking down at you that was unusual too <laughs> yeah just being a hundred percent I mean 100% convinced that there was somebody there to the point that I was really surprised that I didn't hit anything mm -hmm. like that was what surprised me in that moment was that I didn't make contact with somebody I just thought you know there's somebody in the house yeah and they found this room and they're trying to see like 
you know, maybe they're stealing stuff, and they're like, oh, did we wake this person up? Like, I have no clue why they're in there, but, yeah, really strange. Very interesting. I have never had an experience where I really felt threatened, and it, it's really hard for me to get scared. I really don't remember a time in my life where I was actually just terrified of something. Um, but I can imagine that if that experience had happened to me, I would probably be very, very scared. Yeah, and, and there's something just about it that was, I don't know, beyond just like a normal, I think there might be somebody here sort of thing. It's hard to describe. There was another time that I, I scared myself <laughs> when I was living in a townhouse alone. And I, I kind of liked living in a townhouse. Like, I like apartment and townhouse living because when there are weird noises, it's just your neighbors. Like, you don't have to worry about anything. It's, it's just them. Don't worry about it. Uh, but I, I was asleep, and I woke up to hear talking, like very clear talking in my apartment. And I couldn't figure out what it was for a sec. I, I then became pretty convinced that there was somebody inside and that they just came into the wrong unit or maybe got a key from the landlord or something like that. And I, I don't know how they got in there or why they would be talking like that. And then I realized what I was hearing was uh, Jimmy Fallon or, or some talk show like that. I think that's what it was. And I thought, okay, so what's the kind of person that breaks into somebody's house and sits down to watch Jimmy Fallon? Like, that seems like Joker-level stuff. Like, if you're so unconcerned about the person you just broke in on that you're just, like, going to kind of take up residence. So I got up. I wasn't terribly scared. I was just trying to figure out, like, how to handle the situation. So I had a pistol, but I realized I had just gone to the range, and it was downstairs, you know, where, where the noise was coming from. So I'm thinking, okay, what else do I have? Knives downstairs. My bow also downstairs <laughs> in one of the closets. So I just figured, okay, I just have to go down there. I have to hope that like a you know big dude in his underwear is gonna unsettle this person enough that I can get the drop on him. <laughs> and I just kind of ran down real quick, and it was just my laptop. For whatever reason, my closed laptop that was in sleep mode had somehow turned back on and I guess was auto playing YouTube videos. I think I was watching something on YouTube and just closed the laptop and went upstairs and it had just come on. But for, for whatever reason, that whole experience, it it never had the same feel as the other. There wasn't that pause effect of like kind of your field of perception or this feeling like there's definitely somebody there. It's like there's noise and I, I don't understand what it is and I think it's probably bad. And what do I do now? Where before it was like, yeah, just this weird thing of there seems to be some threat and it's kind of everywhere and I don't exactly understand what it is. I have experiences that you might call paranormal that revolve around like magic and stuff like that from when I was pretty little, like middle school. You know, I, I remember... I, I don't know what I want to blame it on. The truth would be I was just interested in a lot of different things. 
the like the the version you would hear in the media is I was probably influenced by watching a lot of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel and stuff like that when I was in school. Well, that's getting in touch with your feminine side too, so. <laughs> but I remember my cousin and I found like these spell books and stuff that would be at the library or at book fairs and things like that. And we would try these different things and you would like say something, you know, you would, it, it, it's not, there's a sort of magic that you find that is where you do something like you lay out an arrangement of candles or, or wax or salt lines or whatever. And there are ones where you appeal to something like the ones that have magic words. It's not to my understanding. It's not like Harry Potter where you say like the right word and it's like a cheat code for reality where it makes a thing happen. You appeal to some sort of entity to, to do something for you Mm -hmm. for whatever reason. So that was kind of what we did. You know, we didn't want to do anything because we were little kids. We didn't care. We were in middle school. We didn't like, we didn't want to commit to how do we acquire candles and salt and these things without raising our parents suspicion and having them take our stuff away. Uh, so we just did stuff. I remember one of them was a spell for finding things, finding lost items. Mm-hmm. My cousin had lost his, this was very important to us, his Rugrats Game Boy game. Mm-hmm. I think that's what it was. <laughs> Couldn't find it anywhere. We ripped his room apart trying to find it. And he was like, hey, we found that thing. You want to try it? So we did it. We said the words. I I am not exaggerating at all. About one minute later, we found it in a place where we had already looked. Really unusual. But it was one of those things that was like, eh, it's nothing. You know, we we did a couple of the little things like that. And, you know, we'd have results, but it was always something that was totally explainable. It's like, well, we just overlooked this or this just happened for, you know, a completely pedestrian reason. The The one that really got me, though, was one that was for luck. That's all it was. It was just appealing to, you know, the sort of the powers that be for good fortune. And the next day, so I did this at night. The next day, my dad came home and he was like, hey, I found this on the side of the road. Do you want it? Like where my dad worked, there were nature trails that went near there. And the trails went off, you know, through this wooded area, but they came pretty close to, I don't know if it was a highway or just a fairly major sort of regional road. So it wasn't super uncommon to see like a cup or something blow onto the trail or whatever. But what he pulled out and handed to me was a Game Boy in like perfect condition. You know, if it had fallen out of a car, he's like, "Eh, it must have just, you know, somebody dropped it out of their car window or something like that. And it wound up here, but like, do you want this? Can you use this? Parent got pissed and threw it out the window. (laughs) Yeah. Something like that. But I mean, it was perfect. Like I had my own that my parents had given me for a Christmas present that I took care of. You know, I put it in the little protective bag when I took places and it wasn't in as good a shape as this one. And I just had this like real feeling of guilt. It, It was sort of two things. It was like, that's really cool. Like that actually worked. And also, this has to mean that somebody else lost this, right? Like, this didn't just manifest from nothing. Like, some kid out there lost their Game Boy. 
because I did this. Like that has to be what it is. And I, I have never done any of that stuff again. Cause it's like, all right, this is getting too real. Like I'm not getting into any of the scary shit where you're like messing with anything dark. Like I'm just going to stop while I'm ahead. I'm up one game boy. I'm out. Right. That's funny. Well, I mean, you know, people want to write off, you know, magic with a K as BS and all that. And, you know, when they, when they do, I say, do you pray? Like, well, yeah, well, sure. I pray. And I'm like, okay, well, how is this any different? I mean, you could say that you're appealing to the dark side, but you know, either way you're appealing to a spirit to get something that you want, you know, or get something, hopefully if you're praying, you're praying for other people, um, you know, as much as you're praying for yourself, but, um, you're praying to a spirit one way or the other. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, it is. I mean, and, and if you do research on what the entities are that are mentioned in these books, they're always some kind of deity. I'm pretty much always, they're either some sort of nature spirit or a deity from a particular religion. It's interesting how many of the same, you know, it's supposed to be the same God that pops up in all these different religions. You know, if you go from like Greek to Roman, they're the same, but different names. Right. All right. You got another one for us? I I mean, the only, I, I guess I do have a couple other ghost stories, but they're, again, they're from, you know, people that I know. My neighbor, her husband passed away from cancer a couple of years ago, and she's very spiritual, you know, to the point that I kind of refer to her as like a hippie because that's what she is. She's kind of like an old hippie. It's whatever. I know her. She's a very rational person for the most part, but she's one of these people who's very quick to attribute things that happen to something uh, unexplainable. But she rented out her old house. So both of her parents have now passed away, you know, of old age. And she is living in the house next door to me, which was their house. And her old house that she lived in with her husband, she rents out. So that's important. The guy who rents the house, she came over to visit and do something or, or they, they, there was some reason why she was going to be over there anyway. And when she went and found the guy, he was wandering around in the basement, you know, looking for something or fixing something, whatever he was doing. And when she showed up, he was kind of startled. He was like, weren't you just here a couple minutes ago? Like, why, why weren't you talking? And she's like, no, I, I wasn't down here. And he goes, no, you had to have been down here. Like I was over here, you know, working on the water heater or whatever. She's like, no, I just showed up. And he told her that what had happened was he was working on fixing something. He had seen a pocket knife on the shelf and went and grabbed it. And he was, you know, just doing whatever he was doing. And he felt somebody grab his shirt and kind of pull on it. And he got up and, you know, looked around, didn't really see anybody, assumed it was her that she had showed up and like tugged on his sleeve or whatever, but then walked back out of the room. He he had a couple other little experiences where it felt like his shirt, you know, something was getting caught on his shirt and it was being pulled on, but he just went back to what he was doing. And uh, she was like, no, I just, I just got here. But where did you find that knife? And he said, it was on the shelf over here. She goes, that was my husband's knife. He used to carry that every day. And she's like, that might be him messing with you. And apparently he's had a few experiences where, He'll do something, make some change to the house, and something will fall somewhere, or he'll feel like something touch him, and then if he changes it back or or, or does something different, 
you know, that sort of activity stops. He's also had a dream where a man appeared to him, you know, and told him, you know, essentially, I appreciate you looking after this house and after my wife. And, uh, and when he described, you know, what this person looked like, cause he never met her husband. He was, he was gone before these two even met and there were no pictures of him in the house or anything like that. But when he described who he saw in his dream, she was like, Oh, do you mean this? And like held up a picture. Cause he kind of always wore the same type of stuff, you know, jeans, ball cap, you know, a very, you know, similar outfit, but not something this guy had seen before. And it's just, it's interesting that it's happening and that the tenant seems okay with it. You know, he feels like from my understanding the you know, the little bit that I've talked to him about it, he, he seems just to be like, yeah, there's just, there's just this ghost there. And so we just kind of, were a little careful with it, you know, don't make drastic changes, you know, don't do anything that'll upset Nancy <laughs> and everything's going to be cool. <laughs> like don't touch any strange objects you find that you didn't know what they were. But uh, yeah. And, and another story with her is one of her best friends had a near death experience. He was in a motorcycle crash several years ago and was actually legally dead off and on. They were, you know, he would die and they would revive him. And it was this, you know, process of like fighting to actually get him back. But he said during that experience, he didn't have like an out of body experience or anything like that, but he, he was just someplace else, you know, almost like a dream. But his father appeared to him and he said that he, you know, his father had been dead for like 20 years, hadn't really thought about him, doesn't really have dreams about him or anything, but that his dad showed up and was like, hey, what are you doing here? This is not your time. You know, you got to go back. And he said that he was aware of what had happened to him, that he'd been in this motorcycle accident. He's like, I don't want to go back. That's going to suck. And he's like, well, that's too bad. And then basically, while I've got you here, why do you never come visit me? I have a gravestone. Like I have a gravesite. You never come. You never leave flowers. Like you, you don't do anything. <laughs> and just like, you know, <laughs> kind of lectured him for being a neglectful son. <laughs> Takes it. He took it very seriously. He was like, this absolutely happened. You know, there's no doubt in his mind that what happened was real and that his dad was actually annoyed that after he died, his son just, you know, from, from the perspective of the father, you know, that his son just kind of forgot about him. That's interesting. I actually had a kind of a falling out with my grandma who was, I lived with her with my parents for a while when I was a kid and she was always really good to me. And just a strange series of events led us to having kind of a falling out. And we weren't really in contact for like the last probably seven or eight years of her life. And I carried a lot of guilt because, you know, she was so good to me when I was a kid. And I kind of felt like I should have made more of an effort to be a part of her life the older she got. And um, so, you know, I carried this guilt around for probably 15, 20 years. And a couple of years ago, I just had a dream that she came and visited me and said, it's okay. I forgive you. No problem. And I've been totally at peace with it since then. Not really a ghost story, but, uh, you know, another thing that happened, seeing a loved one in a dream that, you know, I, I take very seriously. I believe that she did visit me and just said, hey, don't worry about it. So that's pretty cool. A friend of mine had a similar experience. Her mom passed away uh, two years ago now, something like that, towards the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, unrelated, though, to the pandemic. But she 
didn't have a very good relationship with her mom. Her, you know, her father died very young and her mom just kind of never really took care of herself had kind of relied on her dad for everything. So when he passed, you know, the house kind of started falling apart. You know, her health deteriorated. She, she just, Mm -hmm. I'm trying to find a way to not say she was just kind of waiting to die, but that, that basically seems to be what it was, you know, and it got to a point where, you know, it was just a thing of, well, if you would just get up and walk out to your mailbox once a day, that would be, you know, a decent amount of exercise. And she just, I guess, couldn't make herself do it. And anyway, my friend felt kind of guilty about it because she had sort of written her mom off, you know, at one point yeah. because it was hard to include her in anything. You know, if you invited her, she wouldn't come. If she did come, she mostly just complained about things. And she just kind of wished that she had made more of an effort. You know, she she did more for her mother than anybody else in their family. But still, you know, thought like maybe there's just something else because her mom was maybe in her mid 60s when she passed, like not not old at all. Uh, Not not old enough for the things that she was going through, for sure. But she had a dream like yours where her mom appeared to her and just they were sitting there you know, talking like, like you just would in your living room. And her mom just said, you know, it's okay. You know, the stuff that happened happened because of me and my choices and you shouldn't feel guilty about it. And you just need to let it go because it's all right. Yeah. She said she was completely at peace with it. She said, you know, and she didn't even say the, the way she started the conversation wasn't, you know, I had a dream. It was my mom appeared to me. Cause she said, it's just, it was, it wasn't a dream because her dreams don't make any sense. And this was just a coherent conversation. Yeah. It's a great feeling. Yeah. It's amazing. I mean, we talk about the veil being lifted a little bit and I believe when you're in a dream state, you're really kind of in between, you know, like walls that you put up to block out. I hate to say logical sense because that seems redundant, but um, you you put up a wall to block things out that maybe don't jive with your more materialistic worldview. Yes, very well said. Um, but I believe those walls kind of come down when you go to sleep and, you know, it's easier for you to make contact. And I hope one day we'll do a show about lucid dreaming because I've had some lucid dreaming experiences as well. But that kind of stuff fascinates me when people have a dream, you know, and it it totally makes sense because most dreams, honestly, they don't make sense or the parts that you remember are so jumbled up that they don't make sense. But when you have a dream like that and it all makes sense, it's a really yeah, great, enlightening experience. Yeah, I, w- I would be interested in doing that, too. Actually, I've never had a lucid dream. I've had dreams that were very coherent. I've had dreams that were coherent to the point where I woke up and was confused about what was going on, mm-hmm. like where reality had stopped and where that dream had started, you know? Mm-hmm. And I've also had dreams. I've had dreams a lot where I can feel, which is apparently very unusual. You know, I, I had a dream when I was, I don't know, maybe in high school that it, it was like any scenario in a video game, you know, somebody showed up, they're like trying to shoot up the place that you're at. And you got to fight back. And I was pretty convinced that I was in a dream. <laughs> I was very certain that I was in a dream. And so I was like, yeah, let's, you know, let's do this. Cause I, I think this is what's going on. And then I got shot like in the leg and it hurt. 
And I was like, oh, my God. Mm-hmm. This might be real. This might just be one of those days where I'm a little bit out of it, you know? Because there are some days that you have, or at least that I have, where I feel a little bit dreamlike anyway. And I was like, yeah. I was like, please tell me this isn't what ha- what's happening. <laughs> and then I wound up waking up a little while later, and I was like, what the? What was that? And I've also had a nightmare. Well, hold on a second. Did your legs still hurt when you woke up? No. Okay. No. And I've also had a nightmare where uh, I was being chased by a vampire or something. Like it was me and my friends and we found out that our school was infested with vampires or something like that. You know, typical horror movie kind of scenario. Mm -hmm. And we had found where they were. They were in these, you know, stereotypical like old school heating tunnels that were under the building or whatever. And they were chasing us. And one of them caught me and bit me and it hurt. And then I woke up and I was like, what? Yeah. Why does it hurt? It's not supposed to hurt. It's a dream. Yeah. <laughs> like it takes away the fun. Like I kind of like nightmares when I wake up. I don't necessarily like them in the moment, but it's kind of like, you know, why did my brain come up with that to try to scare me? Well, it's exciting. Or, you know, where, where did that come from? Yeah, it is. And it's kind of fun to talk about, but yeah, there are a few where it's like, damn, that hurt. It's not supposed to do that. And there's no real consequences when you're in a dream or a nightmare. You can live it out without, you know, worrying about being turned into a vampire. (laughs) But I would love to learn the lucid dream. One of the things most interesting about dreams to me is that a lot of people say they don't have them. And, you know, there are a lot of times where I don't remember mine. Mm -hmm. But the most sure way to have a dream for me is to get out like a notebook and a pen. And be ready to write it down in the morning. Because every time I go to bed with the intention of writing down my dream the next day, I, I have a dream. It never fails. Like I have a dream that I remember and that I can write down. And it's really fun. Yeah, I kept a dream journal for a while and then kind of got sick of waking up and writing. <laughs> so I stopped. But even in our lucid dream episode, I don't think I'll be going over a lot of those dreams. Because they're kind of boring. But yeah, 99% of my dreams are like, oh, I was in Jamestown Mall back in 1995 and Sam Goody was still open and then gravity turned off and then the spiders from Jumanji came out and, the, you know, nothing yeah. makes sense. <laughs> right. Incoherence. I, I think, honestly, that that one of the reasons, and I guess this is where I'll leave my my sort of portion of this. I think one of the reasons I don't have a lot of experiences is because I tend to go into places with respect. This is my theory. You know, there seems to be this thing that intention drives what happens when it comes to paranormal stuff. You know, if you go in with the intention of having something or if you're antagonistic towards it, it, it's going to end up happening. But my fiance and I have stayed at the Lent Mansion, you know, one of the most haunted places in the U.S. a couple times. You know, we've, we love the restaurant. We like staying there. We like the house. We're, you know, the, it's all very interesting. But we go in with this, I guess, sense of appreciation for what it is that we're there for and like the architecture of the space and like the family that built this and the tragedy that they went through. And we never have anything happen to us. You know, other people talk about going on tours of that place. And I mean, you've probably been there with your ghost hunting group. Um, but it's, it's one of those things where, you know, lots of people go in looking for something and they end up finding it. You know, we go in with the intention of just sort of appreciating the building and the the house and the history and we end up not having it. 
And I think that's why. I think it's just kind of letting us be. All right. Well, that's it for tonight's episode of Cryptique, where we work to bring the truth to light of the paranormal, hidden history, forbidden knowledge, conspiracy theories, and fringe science. If you like the show, give us a five-star rating and write a review so we can continue to improve. You can email case suggestions to cryptiquepodcast at gmail.com and tell us about your true paranormal story. Don't forget to tell your friends about the show because word of mouth goes a long way. And the more listeners we have, the more shows we can bring to you. Don't forget to check out Ryan's movie review podcast, Movie Howl, and my true crime podcast, Exploring Evil. We hope you enjoyed our ghost stories, and we'll see you next time on Cryptique.